0: You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Happy Independence Day. Today we continue our study on the book of James and we're going to talk about using our freedoms to be humble. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. We've been going through the book of James and James is so very appropriate for the Christian life. Such a very practical book and today we're going to Finish out chapter 4, and I think it's once again comes on a very appropriate week. I love Independence Day, and I love, I absolutely love American history. When I look back at at my school, the school I have, that is probably my favorite subject of all. I love reading about American history. I want to share with you a, a couple of stories today. Well, one really, about one of our founding fathers. Once upon a time, a rider, during the Revolutionary War, came across a few soldiers who were trying to move a heavy log of wood without success. While the soldiers were trying to move this wood, there was a corporal that was just standing by and just watching as his men struggled. The rider came along and the rider just couldn't believe it. And he finally asked the corporal, why aren't you helping? You're just going to watch these men struggle? Why aren't you helping? The corporal replied, I'm the corporal. I give the orders. This rider said nothing in response. Instead, he got off his horse. He went up and he stood by the soldiers. And as they tried to lift the wood, he helped them. And with his help, the task was finally able to be carried out. Who was this kind rider? This rider was George Washington, the commander-in-chief. After it was over... He quietly mounted his horse, and he went over to the corporal, and he said, the next time your men need help, you send for the commander-in-chief. See, when you read about the life of our founding fathers, George Washington in particular, you read about an incredible, successful man, you read about a man that went against all odds, but you get a picture of a very, very humble man. Every book you read, that comes up every single time. His humbleness stands out. Their stories. whenever he was later elected president, they wanted to know what to call him. What do we call our new president? We didn't always have a president. Whenever we declared our independence, he could have been called king. And one of the suggestions was they wanted to call him George Washington, Your Highness. George Washington said, no, 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 I don't like that. Just call me Mr. President. Long before term limits in office, It was George Washington who said, no, two terms is enough. I don't need to be here forever. George Washington probably could have been elected king, but he was humble. He was a humble man, and that is what we have been talking about the whole whole month, the whole book of James. But the truth is, even for George Washington, the truth is that humility does not come natural for anyone. In David Bob's book, he wrote a book called Humility, an Unlikely Biography of America's Greatest Virtue. He said in Washington's early haste to achieve greatness, he sometimes let his ambition outpace his virtue. And he gradually realized this and he calibrated his actions accordingly. Rather than just cloaking his ambition, Washington recognized that the more he served others and the cause of justice, the more his success would matter. The less his ambition was about his own fame, the more he would deserve the honors he received. Virtue in this sense, he discovered, can be its own reward. In Washington's resignation speech, he said, I consider it an indispensable duty to close this last solemn act of my official life by commending the interest of our dearest country to the protection of Almighty God and those who have the superintendence of them to His holy keeping. I don't know all about Washington's faith, but it is clear throughout his life, he realized that to serve others, he had to get off his high horse, quite real, literally. That's what he did. He got down in the mud and the muck with his men. He believed in something greater, and he believed in humbling himself. If anybody in the history of our country had a right to be prideful, I would argue it's probably George Washington. But he was not a humble man. And you see the fruits of his life. You see the legacy he left by being humble. And we have talked about pride at nauseam for the last five weeks. But today I want to talk a little bit more about humility. And we're going to finish chapter 4 in James. And really, what we're going to read today, you're going to see is kind of a culmination of everything that we've been talking about just thus far. In in the introduction, in chapter 1, James talked about being doers, not only hearers of the Word. And you're going to see that come up today in these couple of verses. Chapter 2, James wrote about not showing partiality towards anyone. You're going to see that come up today, just like Washington. He says, I'm not going to show partiality towards anyone. They're my countrymen. He also wrote about a faith without works is dead. Chapter 3, we read about the power of the tongue. That's going to come back up today, too, in the code of conduct we're to live by. Chapter 4, last week, we read verses 1 through 10, and we learned that pride is the problem, not the solution. And the cure is humility. And I remind you today, as we get ready to finish this chapter out, he began, he began this chapter talking about divisions. He began this chapter saying, where, where is this problem coming among you? There's divisions in our midst. And where is it coming? And he said, hey, it's, becoming, it's happening because you care about yourself more than other people. And he continues that today through the rest of the chapter. And today we're celebrating our independence as Americans, but I want to tell you that every day... July 5th, July 3rd alike, every day should be a day that we celebrate our freedom and liberty as Christians. And today we're going to look at the rest of the chapter and we're going to examine how to exercise our liberty. And we're going to exercise how we can follow James' example. How we can follow George Washington's example. How we can follow maybe our dear old grandmother's example and live humbly before our God. Because that's what this whole book is about. Just like we read last week, James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So let's start by reading James 11 and 12. He says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver Who is able to save and destroy who are you who are you to judge another if I had a notebook today if I was a note taker if I was a highlighter I would really focus in on those three words in verse 12 if you want to be a humble Christian that is the question that you should answer today who are you who are you I want you to understand, really, this text really isn't about judging each other, but rather than how we speak to each other. Remember, he already referred to the power of the tongue. And he says, listen, you guys need to stop talking evil of one another. Back in this time, it was very common practice, just like today, to talk evil about each other. How we talk matters. And James says, listen, guys, you don't need to do that, because who are you to do it? And remember, he talked about being a doer of the law. And not just a hearer only. And he goes, you can't be a doer while you're talking evil to one another. So listen, let's start off this morning. And one thing that should humble us like none other. You've seen the phrase. You've heard the phrase. And I believe it's a true phrase. The phrase, only God can judge me. Is a phrase that should humble us like none other. I mean, that, there, there is. James says it right here. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you? Who are you? Let me tell you who I'm not. I'm not the lawgiver. I'm not the one that's able to save. I'm not the one that's able to destroy. I know that. George Washington knows that. You know that. So we better realize that today. And that should humble us like nothing else. Like we already discussed a few weeks ago, who is this one? Who is this one that is able to save and destroy? Who is the judge? Who is the one? It's God. It is the creator of everything. It's a 100% holy God, a being unlike any of us has ever been around. Yes, God is 100% merciful. Yes, God is 100% loving, but God is 100% righteous too. And listen, that should humble us. His standards are different than ours, and we should take that seriously. If James is saying, only the most prideful person would attempt, To take that role of God upon Himself. Who are you? Who are you? Let me just tell you this morning. Who are you? The the right answer this morning to that question. That we can all say. Is we're sinners. That's who we are. And sinners. Judging sinners. Does not work. Remember in chapter 1 verse 22. We're called to be doers of the word. Not just hearers. And when we presumed to become judges. We're no longer doers. That's what James here, if you judge the law, you're not a doer. No more are you a doer, you're a judger. And listen, we say that, that we don't do this, but I see it all over America today. I see it all over where even pastors, good people, well-meaning well-meaning people, we presume to become judges and no longer are we doers. You see, when, when we presume to become judges, then we just change the law to suit our own needs. We're able to talk bad about others because we put sin on a scale. And we're able to just edit this Bible to suit our own needs. But what usually happens, we change the Bible or others change the Bible to suit our culture. Well, no, you, you've, you've misinterpreted what the Bible says about marriage being between one man and one woman. No, you've just misinterpreted that. We've got it wrong for for thousands of years. So we're going to change it. And now instead of letting God be the judge, I'm going to be the judge. I've got the authority to do that. It don't work that way. We could do it on, on something like abortion. No, no, it's different now. These procedures, these medical procedures are different. So all that you read in Psalms about being formed in your mother's womb, no, all that's changed now. Most of you in here would say you'd never do that sort of thing. But right here, I see it all the time. We take the Bible and we change the rules. We change what the Bible says on divorce. Well, it's 2021, so now divorce is so common. Divorce is so prevalent. If you get married, it don't work out. No big deal. Maybe the next one will. We become doers. We become judges to change the law to, to fit our own needs. But it's not just that. I mean, I see it happening in churches where we change what the Bible says, what what Paul wrote Timothy about the rules for clergy. Does not matter no more, no matter what the Bible says? Well, now it's 2021. Who cares if the pastor is a woman? Who cares if the pastor's been married five times? Who cares if the pastor drinks like a fish? Who cares if the pastor identifies as a different gender? And then the church takes on the role of the judge. It doesn't work that way. There's churches that have taken on the role of of defining race differently, who endorse this idea that some people are just racist and some people aren't, and we're all victims. It doesn't work that way. Who are you to do such a thing, James says. It doesn't work. It didn't work then, and it doesn't work now. I don't care what year it is. It will never, ever work. But this begs the question this morning, this really begs the question, and I hope, I really hope I've not given off the wrong idea. Because what does humility look like? What does humility look like? Does it mean that we go lock ourselves in our bedroom and we never speak out? Does it mean that we go live in a monastery in the mountains? Does it mean that we, we, we take a, a vow of chastity or something? What does it mean to live humbly, humbly? And I argue this morning, it doesn't mean any of those things. Here's the truth. If we know who we are, we also know who the lawgiver is. We know who the one that is able to save and destroy. Humility doesn't mean we're always to stay quiet. It just means that we know the judge. It means that we know the judge and we should warn others about that. We should tell others about that. We know the rules. We have the book. It just means that in her... Humility. we are not to assume the role of God. Listen, if humility means being quiet and never saying anything, I would find me a different profession. I wouldn't be here today. That's not what humility means. And while we're not to exercise judgment, humbly we should remind others that one day God will. Humility. Humility means pointing others towards grace, towards Jesus. Humility means bringing ourselves down off our high horse like Washington did in that story and saying, hey, I'm going to get down here in the mud and the muck with you because I'm just like you. I'm either a sinner who needs saving or I'm a sinner who has been saved. I've been where you're at and I know there is a better life. Judging others out of pride, it doesn't work because like I said earlier, it means putting sin on a scale. It means making someone's sin worse than our own. Who are you to do such a thing? And to be sure, to be sure, I don't want you to get the wrong idea this morning because our Bible is full of instructions for Christian correction. But these kind of corrections are never done out of pride. It's never done out of talking evil about a brother or sister. And it's also done corporately. You can go read in 1 Corinthians 6. You can go read in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Jesus said, Approach this person that's done you wrong personally. Then if they don't listen, then take two or three witnesses with you and then bring it before the church. And we do that because the one that's out of line may not even know they are. So listen. If somebody is in the wrong, it doesn't mean that you just put up with it. It doesn't mean that you just give them a pat on the back and you say, that's okay, Jesus understands. No, it says in your humility. That phrase that we quote all the time, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be also. I believe that with all my heart. But what Jesus was talking about in that phrase, go go read it in Matthew 18. Jesus was talking about church correction. He says when somebody's doing wrong, go to them humbly and I will be with the two or three with you. So we don't sit by and let sin run rampant in our midst. Instead of saying I say or we say, the right method is to say the Bible says or Jesus says. Correction out of love is far different than correction out of pride. Jesus' method is different than man's method. Man's method has never changed. Man's method is always speaking evil of one another, sending out a mean tweet, talking about somebody behind their backs, a vague social media post. Jesus' method is confronting problems head on out of humility instead of love. Just like that story with Washington. He saw a problem, he got off, he went to him and said, next time you call for me. I, I don't, I'd love to be that corporal. I'd love to talk to him. How did you feel when your commander-in-chief did that? Prideful people people assume the role of God. They assume to be that lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. And it backfires when that happens. Why should we not do such a thing? And James reminds his readers that we're to be careful of doing such a thing because... Obviously, or not so obviously anymore, things are so, so very out of our control. So very out of our control. So let's finish what James said in chapter 4. He says, come now, in verse 13, sorry, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And then James gives them a, an alternative. He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to, know, who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Why should we never presume to be the lawgiver? Why should we be cloaked in humility? Well, I just want to tell you, first off, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Man, that that should humble us. Stop making plans. Stop planning for the future. Stop putting off that decision because tomorrow may never, never come. I love that song Tricia sang. The flag still stands for freedom, but and they can't take that away. I take issue with that line. I do, because you know what? I saw it last year where they did take that freedom away. We're free today, folks, but we may not be next week. Listen, we, we need to realize we're one pandemic away. We're one executive order away. We are one tragedy away. We're one hurricane away from losing our freedom to worship. And if that's not not true enough, I want you to understand we're one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat away from eternity. We don't know, in verse 14, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you better get it right today. You better humble yourself and stop putting that decision off, whatever it may be. I'll never forget Years ago, before me and Carissa came here, I sat in a revival service. And I I really loved the man that was preaching. And it was a great revival. It was a powerful revival. And in that crowd is somebody, I can't remember his name right now, but he lived in the community. And and he came every night and he enjoyed it. And he left and he said, I'll see you all tomorrow night. The next morning, me and Dad were working together and we got a call that this man had died in a car wreck. I've thought about that for a long, long time. I saw it with my own eyes. Now, I, personally, I believe the guy was a Christian. I believe the guy, I mean, he was happy. He didn't look like he was convicted about anything. But I just wonder if he would have only known that is the last church service he would have ever attended, what would have been different? James is saying, hey guys, you need to get it right Today. You need to realize that you better get it right today. This could be the last Independence Day you ever experienced inside a church. It could be the last Independence Day you ever experienced, period. Something else I see James reminding them, and and it's just the fact that our will doesn't always align with the Lord's will. That's what he says in verse 15. He says, guys... You know what, you ought to say this, you need to humble yourself and realize that while you have all these great visions and while you have all this great stuff, you need to realize the Lord, the Lord's will may be different than yours. I think about David and Solomon. David wanted to build that temple, but God said, listen, that's not for you, David, that's for the one to come. And I think about my own life. If I had my way, I've got great visions. I'd love to see this church full. I'd love to see the organ played. I'd love to see Christine and Michael come back and play the violin. I'd love to see the balcony need to be used. But you guess what? It's not all on me. I can't. It's on God. That's God's will. If the Lord's will, it will happen. And if not, it won't. My job is to do what He tells me to do when He tells me to do it, because I might not get another chance. And maybe it will all happen and it might be under somebody else's leadership long after I'm gone, be it somewhere else or be it to be with my Savior. And then James says something else seriously that I think we all need reminded this morning in verse 17. And this is important to realize because like he says, your life's a vapor. He says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin you see there's there's two types of sin there's a sin of commission and there is a sin of omission and it's really easy for us it's really easy for us church people especially it's really easy for us to look out at at the addict it's really easy for us to look at an abortion clinic and see the young ladies walking in and out of there It's really easy for us to look at the penitentiary and it's really easy for us to say sinner, sinner, sinner. But James, he doesn't deny that. Of course that stuff is sin. But he says, hey, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, point the finger right back at yourself. It's an absolute sin to not do what God calls you to do. Even the most simplest thing to not do it is sin. The most simplest thing, if God's calling you to be a church member and when you say no to that, sinner. If God is calling you to be faithful in baptism and you know to do good and you say no to that to Him, it is sin. Sinner. If you know that you know that you know God is calling you to share Jesus with somebody, be it a friend, a a family member, a husband, a wife, whoever it is, and you say no to God, well, sinner. If you feel led to to come up here and pour your heart out to God at the altar and you say no to God, sinner, God's calling you to be faithful in your church and you say no, well then, sinner, saying no to God is an absolute sin and there's no getting around that. And James wants wants them to understand this is so very important, guys. You need to realize this because your life is a vapor and you may not ever get another chance you might not ever get another chance. So, for me, in my life, that's always in the back of my mind. What if? What if I met my Maker after this service? What if I met my Maker this week? Is it going to end on a no? I mean, I I try to live a pretty good life. I try to, I try to do what God tells me to do. I try to follow the Ten Commandments. Sometimes I fail miserably. But where I struggle with is, is saying yes to God because sometimes I want to do my own thing. And it's a very real possibility when I draw my last breath, it could end on a no. I don't want that. I would hate for that to happen. I would hate to meet my maker right after I said no to him. And listen, it happens all the time. All the time. When, when that vapor is up, whenever we meet our maker, God's not going to care a whole lot about us being American citizens. He's not going to care about our knowledge of American history. God's going to care about if we know His Son. And He's going to ask the question. I believe the question is going to be asked whenever this life is over. And it's the question that I'm going to end with this morning. It's the question in verse 12. Who are you? Who are you? Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you'll resolve not to be the judge, but you'll point others towards the judge. Have a great week and happy Independence Day.